Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Thursday afternoon, midday actually. I just finished some of my college stuff, so in order, like I say, always to try to get the Israel people always bugging me. I'll try to do this today on Thursday. Didn't get at it now. Um, before I say anything else, today's uh, podcast about the Parsha is being sponsored by my good friends, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Avron Elbaum. Avron, as a cousin with Ari. Uh, if, you listen, if you know me, or those of you who don't know me, if you ever listen, uh, the Elbaum family is like the ones who put these podcasts together in the lectures and all the rest of it. And today it's being sponsored by Mr. and Mrs. Avron Elbaum, uh, two of my favorite people, in memory of their... Let's see now, their grandfather, for whom they're named. This would be Avram, Menachem, Ben Yitzhak Yehuda. So, uh, Avram, Menachem, and Yitzhak Yehuda. So, Ari Elbaum and Avram Elbaum, even though they both have different names, they're both named after this person. So it's their grandfather. So it would be Howard Elbaum's father. That's what it is. Again, if you've ever been at any of my uh, lectures and all that, uh, the main guy running the show is Howard Elbaum and Ari and Avram. So anyway, I'm very happy. Uh, to be able to pay tribute to the memory, I see that the yard set is um, tomorrow, the seventh day of Tishrei. Okay, very nice. I'm sure uh, everybody joins me in the Shama should have an Aliyah, and uh, the Alabama family should stay safe <laughs> the way we're all struggling to do in this corona environment. And without any further ado, I'll plunge into the body of my remarks. Uh, today, as I said before, I know it's a tough period. I just finished. Um, doing my uh, talk and um, I I'm actually I wasn't going to do a Shabbos Agadol speech I mean Shabbos Shiba speech because of the corona but then people in my show they set up an outside meeting in addition to an inside meeting so on Rosh Hashanah now this week we're having two minyanim where I am um, both of which are masked in distance don't worry and one's inside, one outside. So since it's outside, maybe I'll do this Shabbat Shu. I put a bug in my mind. Every rabbi has a weakness uh, to talk. So maybe I'm going to do, I'm figuring I'm going to do any uh, Shabbat Shuba uh, drasha in the afternoon like I always do. But usually it's about three, four hours. This time we'll cut it down to like an hour and a half. That's short where I come from. Uh, so hopefully it'll be this, um, this Shabbos, obviously, Saturday afternoon at 4.50 at my show. And milk was around 6.40, so whatever. As I say, that's about half of what I usually do. And um, uh, hopefully the weather will cooperate and the best situation will be to do it outside under a big tent. It's very weird, but, you know, we're living in such a tukufa. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about in terms of the basics of, um, of Yom Kippur, which, uh, especially in the Rambam, which I think most people don't know about. Um... And uh, anyway, if anybody's in Baltimore and they're interested in coming, that's going to be at 4.50 at my show. Now, um, on the other hand, this is also Parsha Sazinu. And uh, what I was going to say is, 
that I've been getting a lot of emails from friends and students that went in Israel. It's a bummer over there. First of all, it's super hot. Second of all, they're locked down, they lockdown. But on the other hand, uh, look in America. Denaria Israel Yeshiva had to close down today. I'm all the school. Nobody's taking it seriously. And so there's a price to be paid. So we're living in a Meshuggah Times. Now, speaking of Meshuggah Times, that's exactly what Hazina is all about. Moshe Rabbeinu is foretelling, I repeat, foretelling the Meshuggah Jewish history. Meaning, really, 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 as we all know, Moses is about to die. He will not get to the Promised Land. But all the people he's talking to will get to the Promised Land because this is a, sh- a speech Mamish before he dies. He is told to go up to the mountain to die at the end of Parshat Hazina, correct? And, um, but before that, he utters his poem, his prophetic poem, the Song of Moses, as they call it. And uh, he, really, everything should be great. I brought you to Israel. I did the hard part. I got you out of Egypt. That was a bummer. Crossed the Red Sea. That was very difficult. Got you through the desert with 40 years of borching and schmorching. That was hard. But now, you're a large army. You just showed, I just trained you in battle when you fought Sichon and Og. Um, and all you have to do is cross the Jordan and fight and wipe out the Canaanites and take it over and then live happily ever after. But I know, I know the Jews are a bunch of jerks. And uh, I'm particularly worried, he says, of course, as he looks out at the Sea of Jews before he dies that you will not be able to handle the um, test of prosperity. Because at the beginning of Hazina, you know, uh, I assume you more or less know what the poem's about. So, I mean, I must have spoken about that in the past. I must. But he said, God took care of the Jewish people. He brought them to Israel. And then he brought them to the land of uh, good and plenty. Um, so they're Right, you have all the meat and food in those. You live to get and tag. And the problem is, the pro- and, and by the way, Dom Enof Tishtachomer, you drink the blood of the grapes. <laughs> right? No, it'll be wine season. Everybody will have it. And Jews and wine, my goodness, where's Kenny? You know, to have all, not just wine, but fancy, delicious, fancy wines like you have nowadays. Dom Enof Tishtachomer means you'll have all those super expensive $10 million a bottle of wine. The problem is, what will be the result? Instead of saying, isn't this wonderful? We're having a wonderful life here. We own our own land. We're in Eretz Yisrael. doesn't get better than that. Don't screw things up. Instead, Vayishman Yishon Vayivah. That's next Pesach. Right? Vayishman Yishon Vayivah. The Yishon grew fat and rebelled. Meaning the Jews will screw up because they can't handle the prosperity. Prosperity makes you decadent. That is the history of the world. Shamanta Avisa Kasisa. The language he, he, he says is really cool. He said, you grow fat, thick, and gross. Shamanta, avisa, kosisa. So in other words, he's using the image, which is very true of Jews, of everybody. You come in slim and, and uh, tall, dark, and handsome, uh, but under all that uh, food and prosperity, you'll grow, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, big and gross, uh, fat, thick, and gross. Okay? That's uh, the easiest way to understand it. Let me see Arya Kaplan. What else you got over here? That's that's pretty much. And now now the things like this. And what's the be result? What do you mean? Not only physically fat, but uh so you'll abandon God and actually uh so you show this you show contempt for Tsuri Shusa for the God that got you to prosperity. So as Moshe argues, I know you're gonna screw up. As he said in the last week's part. So once I'm gone, you're gonna run this business into the ground. Which is what happened. 
we call it the Old Testament. Uh, by the time he finished Shiloh Shoftim Shemuel Malachim, by the time he finished Malachim, as I pointed out many times, the Jews are kicked out of Israel. Yudin Rai, not a single Jew left in Israel after Tzom Gedali, after Gedali's assassinated. So they started with a good deal. They had about eight, nine hundred years, whatever it was, and then there was episode. It's over. The Jews are destroyed. Now, in spite of that, the Jews are not totally destroyed. We're still here today. But they had a good thing going, uh, and they blew it. Now, Moshe foresees this. But what I want to call attention today, what strikes me as interesting, every part of the Shira of Hazim is interesting. It really is. I'm not just saying it for pieties. It really is. Um, if you want to understand Bechlaw what's flying, get the R.E. Kaplan Klumish. Uh I'm serious. That's the best way for the English-speaking reader. Rashi not going to help in that department. A lot of them, of course, are not going to help. They concentrate on little things. You want to get the, the, the Pashat meaning of it, which is majestic. It's scary, but it's majestic. And uh, that's, you want to read the R.E. Kaplan. Now, I haven't looked in the Steins also. I pulled it out, but I don't have time. Uh, the patience to look over there. Maybe he's good or not, but it, I think the R.E. Kaplan is better, it seems to me. Now, uh, anyhow, the point is that Moshe is basically laying out the idea that you're going to have prosperity, you'll blow it, and this will get provoke God to be angry. Now, how will God display his anger? And the answer is, austere upon him, him. Era machrisam. This is the doctrine of Hester upon him. That's what I want to talk about for a minute. Uh, God says, not that I will throw lightning and thunder on you, and not that I will bring you know, nations upon you. Sometimes you find that language in the Bible, especially in Yeshaya, Yermia, Festival, those kind of places. You, um, you, you, you find um, that God will send nations against you and that sort of thing. Uh, over here, you have a different language, language of the Chumash. And the language of the Chumash is, at least as best I can think, sitting here now, um, I don't have to send anybody against you. I will withdraw my special protection from you. That's all it takes. It's the Hester Panim. As we all know, this is not the only place in the Chumash where it's Hester Panim, but I, was, I would regard it as the main, or at least that's how I'm thinking today. Uh, it does say, Aster, Aster Panim, What does Hester Panim mean? That's a philosophical way of speaking. It's in the Chumash, but it's philosophical. In other words, uh, God, and, and by the way, the language is wonderfully ambiguous. Uh, Hester Panim doesn't mean I'm looking away. Um, Hester Panim doesn't necessarily... I mean, let's put How is someone mastered their Panim? I'll tell you one possibility. I'll put a cloth over so you can't see me, right? I'll put like a, you know, i put a, a, a towel over my head or something like that, a barrier. You can't see me. So I'm standing right next to you, but my face is hidden because I covered it up with something. That's one way of understanding it, right? Another way of understanding it is, and by the way, in that case, I'm not looking at you. If I put a thick towel over my head, I don't see you. I'm in the same room as you. I'm next, I could be sitting mamish next to you, but Hester, I, I'm, I'm not looking at you, meaning I can't see you. Another way of understanding Hester Punim is I can see you, but you can't see me, <laughs> right? So if I was a magician, I could make myself invisible, uh, then... I'm there, but I was master my punim. I hid my face, you know. Both both of them work in Hebrew, correct? Uh, which is the, the wonderful ambiguity of it is attributed to the uh, richness and suppleness of the biblical Hebrew, uh, which I've spoken about a hundred times. Uh, you have to appreciate, especially when you get to these kind of vivid phrases. So, God is like, it's a Hester punim. I'm, uh, uh, I'm, uh, you won't see me. I'm covering my face. Now, 
over here, the, we have the doctrine of Hester Pan, which means that uh, God sees everything. Um, it's a total providence, omniscience. And yet, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem that way. Why? What's shot? Well, the meaning, best as I can make out of it now, is like this. I'm Moshe Rabbein, I'm talking to the Jews. You guys have been the beneficiary of Ashkacha Pratis in a big way. Um, everybody, the Rambam and everybody, believes in Ashkacha Pratis for Klal Yisrael. There may have been debates about providence among the medieval uh, commentators and philosophers about individuals. But everyone, uh, including the Rambam, who's eloquent about it in the Guide for the Perplexed, uh, believes that there is Hashkacha Pratis, maybe not for everybody, but there's certainly Hashkacha Pratis for big people tzaddikim. According to the Rambam, that's the whole shot with the Sefer Bracious. That's the whole shot. That, um, you know, it's a... Uh, uh, it's a story of divine providence, you know. Notice Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when you know Lech Lecha, Avarcha, Bavarchecha, and all that. That's Hester Panim. I'm sorry, that's a Hashkacha Pratis. And the Jewish people, for sure, for sure, that's a Hashkacha Pratis. So if you're Moshe Menu, the entire, um, and by the way, if I wanted to get cute, you could say when Moshe first is introduced to God, at the very beginning, uh, you know, Vayaster. Moshe Panov. <laughs> Moshe did a Hester Panov. Isn't that funny? Uh, and now God's told me a Hester Panov, but we'll leave that for Abishitz and all that. I'm serious. Now, uh, I'm not giving Drushes Nevelta around here, <laughs> um, but what do you find? Um, that the Jewish people from the time Moshe showed up was a, a terrific Ashkachapratis. It ain't normal for 10 plagues to happen. It ain't normal for Pharaoh to be compelled totally against his will to say, Hareh Tem Bnei it ain't normal to cross the Red Sea. It ain't normal to live in the desert on Mon and Be'er Miriam and all this kind of stuff. The whole existence was a Hashkacha Pratis existence. Uh, now, uh, but it's subtle. Listen closely. What is the peak experience in the desert? Now, so what's the number one miracle in the desert? The answer is the revelation of God in Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments and all that. I repeat, the pronouncing the Ten Commandments at Har Sinai, and then the subsequent business we're giving the Torah through Moshe. Um, that's the ultimate Hashkacha Pratis. But at the same time, it carries a sting. And the sting, of course, was that precisely by singling out the Jews for Hashkacha Pratis and no one else, God, very sneaky, was at the same time creating an existential anti-Semitism. Because, consider, um, Jews weren't the only slaves in Egypt, as everybody knows. Um, and there were Jews, there were slaves uh, by the Zillions in Egypt before the Jews ever showed up, and after the Jews left. It's not really true, we built the pyramids and all that stuff. Begin used to say it, <laughs> Lance Baloney. The pyramids and the other monuments of Egypt, which only a tiny fragment remain, was built by a giant slave labor force. Um... Uh, so why the Jews were taken out? Why not the others? If God really likes uh, the downtrodden and the slaves, why did he pick the Jews? You understand? Those why is it, here's how the story should have run. That on the day that God decided, this is like Charlton Hester movie, that sl the slavery was enough, he smashed Egypt, and all of the slaves of Mitzrayim fled. And that's not what happened. <laughs>
right? The Jews fled, and some air arrived with them. Uh, and the Jews didn't flee either. They came out, Barosh Gali, you know, and what's the, what's the Lushan over there? Um, you know, in, in Bishalach, the Jews left, uh, you know, organized. Now, um, it's a passing in the Chumash, just escapes me at the moment. Now, that means that God did something very infuriating. Here's a 10,000 slaves working in the salt mines and uh, dying all the time, suffering under the lash of the Egyptian oppressor. And then a uh, certain group, <laughs> every third, fourth person, is picked up and said, we're leaving the rest of you guys, sucker, bye-bye. Uh, what do you think they think? Uh, how come these guys were left, uh, uh, taken out? We were not. It's a bummer. So the whole Matthias of the 10 plagues in Egypt and the Matthias in Israel and all the rest of it is infuriating if you're not Jewish. Because why dafka the Jews? And when the Torah is given specifically to Klal Yisrael, that really means that God's picking favorites. Uh, and that's very angry, angry, make you very angry. The Rambam, I mean, this is not the first time I'm mentioning this, it's not my idea. The Rambam famously says this in the Geras Taman, in the beginning, I'm sure I've quoted in the past, where he's Harsina, because I'll say it's Harsino. So, the very mode of God picking the Jews, and the very singling them out for special treatment, Memela causes anti-Semitism, and it's an existential one that will never go away. Uh, whoever it is, the nicest person out there is not Jewish, is going to have to be bothered by, you know, why the Jews? You understand? Uh, why did they get all this stuff and the rest of it's not? It's a little bit like, we've seen this in recent times. It's not the same thing exactly, but it reminds you that with the Ethiopian Jews, um, which now they're making movies about all this stuff. But what happened with the Ethiopian Jews? I'm starting in the 1970s and 80s. when Begin came in. The Mossad and people like that, they had this whole operation where they got these uh, Ethiopian Jews out of Egypt to the degree they were able to. They got them over the border into Sudan, along with a million or two million other refugees, Ethiopians and Sudanese and others who are not Jewish, and all of them are suffering in these lousy conditions. And in the middle of the night, the Mossad would show up, the Sakhnur, with the uh, trucks, and they say like this, you know, you, 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 and you, get on the truck. <laughs> so the others, the heck with you, you can say screwed, the Jews, these guys, we're taking them out to Israel. Now, there's a good counter-argument. You were persecuted Jews until now, and, you know, whatever. But still, the feeling that a refugee who is Ethiopian, and it's 1982, and they're starving away in some refugee camp with no hope, I repeat, no hope, and uh, the guy next to him, the family next to him, or a bunch of Jews, they get picked up and taken to Israel, to a, to a, to a first-world country, you know, just running water. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's not fair. says. So what does that mean? they got to resent it. So by doing that, here's my point. By doing that, God made a situation where I'm singling you out for favors, like Joseph and the brothers, but that's going to get everybody angry. And I'm doing this so that in order for you to have any chance to survive, you better cling to me. <laughs> you get it? Uh, the only way to not worry about the fact that everybody else hates you is if you're in touch with the boss. If I walk into a, a dictatorship, like business people do, a third world country, and uh, it could be a chassid, it doesn't matter. You get in touch with the top dog, whoever the dictator is over there, and if you cut a deal, this is what Jews have done for thousands of years. Thousands of years. 
because uh, they have no choice. It's a necessity. You find that whoever's the top person, and you kind of deal with them. If you do, then the others may hate you or this and the other. They're not going to, they're not going to lay a hand on you because they're afraid of the dictator. You know, this is how they do business in these third world countries. Those who do. You have to cut in the head guy as part of the deal. So, in our case, the Rebbe set up a situation in which, you know, uh, you take the Jews out, you single them out for special treatment, you take them to a country, you dispossess the people and wipe them out, you give the Jews their land, brought them to Masherlo, Benisa, Sada, Sukrama, Shalona, Tata, and all this stuff, you know, they take over land, and um, naturally everybody's going to hate you. Good. So if you're living in a house where everybody hates you, and the reason nobody's bothering you is because you're friends with me, you better make it your business to stay friends with me. <laughs> right? If you're living in a neighborhood in which it's a very dangerous neighborhood, it's crime-ridden to be the heart of the inner city, but because you are friends with the top drug dealer, let me use that example, so I can park my car, <laughs> do whatever I want, nobody's going to bug me because they're afraid of dealing with the top drug dealer. <laughs> Years ago, I went... With, uh, to give a talk in Baltimore, in Little Italy. Maybe I've mentioned this before, I don't know. And uh, with the late Jake Shuchman, whose yard is coming up next month. Uh, it was missed. And uh, so we, we, it's a long, crazy story, but we ended up giving a talk to Italian Lodge in Little Italy, which is smack in the middle, of, like an enclave in the middle of downtown Baltimore, which has all the characteristics of an inner city uh, community, like the wire, you know. And then there's this little enclave of a few blocks of the Italians. And we we came down there, this is five, six years ago, and uh, I don't know my way, Jake doesn't know his way, he drove me. We ended our way in that neighborhood. And we stopped and we asked, where's the lodge? And they said, you know, Sons of Italy Lodge. It's over here and there. Where can we park? You can park wherever you want. <laughs> the guy said, you can leave your windows open. Nobody's touching a car over here. You get it? They're afraid of Italians. You can park with the car open in, in those three or four or five blocks. Uh, nowhere else. <laughs> you go. You cross over from that neighborhood into the regular neighborhood, different rules, okay? A different, a different messias. But if you are over here, because you, you know, you know the, the, let's put it this way, nobody's messing with them. So this is what God did to the Jewish people. I took you out. I gave you a land. Stuck you in the middle of the Middle East. I didn't give you New Zealand. I gave you the Middle East. Uh, you will always be surrounded by hostile peoples. You'll always be surrounded by humankind that's going to be resenting your chosen status. You claim to be a chosen people. <laughs> you don't look like it. You don't act like it. And so be there. And so in that situation, all I have to do, if I'm the head person, is say, you know, I withdraw my protection from them, or I'm going out of town for a month or something like that, and then the locals will fall upon you and tear you to bits. You understand? That's a Hester Punnin. Anuchi Aster Aster Punnin. What's the expression of, that you have in this week's parsha? That once you do all the bad stuff over here, um, and Vayitish Aloha, so you forget God, you'll get God angry, and all the rest of it. So, Vayara Hashem Bayinus, God got disgusted, because Pana Benosa, from the uh, behavior of his, of his children, the Jewish people. All I have to do is do a Hester upon him. I'm not going to look. I'm withdrawing my special providence over them. And let's see what happens. <laughs> In other words, I want to see what the Iranians, what the Arabs, what this group and that does. 
because it'll leave nothing for the imagination. I'll leave it to a Hitler. You get it? I'll leave it to them. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to cause anything. I've created the situation in which everybody hates you. Uh, and the minute you get me angry, you're making the mistake of your life. And you'll be destroyed. Right? Because they, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're the opposite of what they should be. And they're uh, faithless. And uh, therefore, you know, I can, I, I'll turn it. If, if you act like I'm not there, I'll, be, I'll not be there. That's all. And so we see, and by the way, it's very frightening, right? Hain kinuni below el kisum of him. They got me angry. I'll let them uh, deal with the anger of a guy novel. Right? And uh, I don't have to do anything. Okay? I don't have to do anything. These nations will destroy you on its own. And he goes on to say, you know, you'll be terrible. You'll live a life of terror. Um, you'll live a life of terror. Meaning, this is what happened like Hitler's time or something like that. God forbid, nobody should ever know this. We, none of us should ever know this. But it was mamish, you know, in the Holocaust. Uh, the sword was in the street and in, and in the houses with terror. You tried to hide from the Germans or whoever your uh, particular enemy is. And it was Gam Bachar, Gam Seva. And there's no respecting of age or anything like that. We, you and I know what happens when we find these uh, catastrophic situations. Now, then God said like this. But I will not be able to keep my face hidden all the time. This is the meaning of Hester Punim. That no, all I have to do is withdraw the special providence. Let you live regular. If you live regular, subject to the regular vagrant, vagrant uh, um, tendencies of mankind, uh, you'll be destroyed. Because you have this history. You understand? You will be known as part of a people that claimed to be a chosen people. And you'll have baggage. And people always resent this about you. Even if you did nothing to provoke it, and you'll always be part of a collective, and the collective will be hated, and that's the story of what it is. So it's basically, in, in Parsha Zina, Moshe is trying to tell him, you guys better wake up and smell the coffee, you realize you will never be able to blend in. You, know, you won't be able to blend in, uh, even though you might want to, uh, because at the end of the day, they don't want you to blend in, they want to wipe you out. That's, that's what it is. And it's not like, let me put it this way, and Moshe here is being very cynical. Very, very cynical. You can contrast Parsha Zina with Parsha Nitzavim. What does it say in Nitzavim? When things hit rock bottom, you'll do Teshuvah. That's a, that's a different scenario. Right? You know, Bachris Ayamim, you'll do Teshuvah. We talked about it, I think, last week or whenever. That's the old glorious prophecy of, um, of uh, Parsha Nitzavim. You know, after the land is destroyed, Gophrys and Melchizedek for Kolarza, you eventually will be destroyed, and then uh, you'll be uh, repenting, you return to God, and then Mola Shemus then good things will happen. That is not what it says over here in this week's parsha. So Moshe, obviously in the psalm, was trying to be optimistic, but he takes a look at all this sea of faces, and he says, uh-uh. "I don't know if you're going to do Shuv or not. I'd like to think that way. I don't know if you're going to do Shuv or not. Uh, here it's going to be something different." And what, is it, what does it say over here? It's going to be different. Well, um, I'm not going to give the guyim the pleasure of wiping you out because the because the guyim won't understand it. They'll think that they've killed me, they killed God. Um, uh, they're they're a bunch of the guyim are stupid, and um, let's put it this way: 
they'll think they're better, they're, they're more powerful than me. Because it's the nature of people, especially in the old days, but even now, to think like this. Uh, I'm talking about a, a classic polytheistic way of thinking. I have a war against you. I'm the Egyptians, you're the Greeks. So I have the Egyptian gods on my side, you have the Greek gods on your side. I defeat you. That means the Egyptian gods busted the Greek gods. That's how people used to think. If Sparta had a battle against Athens, the Sparta god and won, Sparta was, was, was the gods of Sparta are better. Maybe even destroyed them. You understand? If the Roman gods, if the Roman army won, the Roman gods beat the uh, gods of the other people. And that, by the way, that's a logical Savara. If you hold there multiple gods and one group beats the other, Shmami no, that the, you know, the group that was defeated, their gods were, for whatever reason, they were weak that day, they were asleep, they haven't eaten their Wheaties, they're not in good shape, whatever the case is. A radical um, the turn in history was with the rise of monotheism. When the Jews said there's a single God, then it's a different question. If, um, if you have a single God, then uh, the reason the Egyptians beat the Greeks is not necessarily because the Egyptian gods are uh, stronger than the Greek gods. There are none. <laughs> there are no Egyptian gods. There are no Greek gods. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a fantasy. So you, why did the one God in heaven decide that the Egyptians should win today? Uh, and maybe the Greeks win tomorrow. That's asking a different set of questions. And then you're entering into what you call historiography, which means the, the, the wisdom behind the history, the hand of God in history, which is not exactly history, but nevertheless, from a from perspective, a, a fundamentalist religious perspective, that's a history. Why is God doing this? That's a different set of, of, of questions. And Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, is the father of historiosophy. That's what's happening in this week's Parsha. It hasn't happened yet, but he's foretelling. Remember, Moshe says in this week's Parsha, Zechor Yemos Olam Binush no Stavador. That's why I called my um, uh, my uh, foundation that I have a Binu Foundation. You know, my, it's a tax deductible. The legal foundation, because Binush no Stavador, to my mind, that's the perfect uh, 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 description of the vocation of the historian. You have to have Bina and understand the changes in every generation. Analyze them properly. Bina is a, a verb that appears over and over again in Parshat Avinu. Correct? Bina and Tavuna. Kidor tapuchoseinu embahem Tavuna. Luchachmo yaskiluzos yavinu lachrisam. You have Bina many, many times in this week's Parshat. And what Moshe is saying is, you Jews will not be able to analyze properly what's happening to you. I'm telling you beforehand, to provide for you a framework if you choose to go back to Parsha Azino. And in this week's Parsha, Hashem is saying the Goyim will beat up the Jews and kill them and so on and so forth, but uh, they won't totally be able to destroy them. Um, and not because the Jews will repent. Uh, I don't believe it says anything about repentance in this week's Parsha, but rather because I will not give the Goyim, the pleasure of thinking that they beat me. <laughs> that their gods are stronger than me. So it's a funny way of talking, but nevertheless, there you have it. Uh, and he says, Omarti, I mean, I'm, I'm just reading the parsha. Omarti afehem, zichram. I was going to wipe the Jews out. Ashbis me'anosh zichram. I will wipe their memory from man. I'm going to wipe them out. Lule kas agur. But I was, I was afraid, meaning I, I, the, the, the Enemies' anger frightened me. They'll think we beat God. Right? 
They won't understand the monotheistic perspective. The monotheistic perspective is Hashem Paul Kozos, and they'll say below Hashem Paul Kozos. Hashem Paul Kozos means there's a single creator of the universe, and now you have to ask the question: Why did the Holocaust happen? Knows why did God in heaven allow a Holocaust to happen? But they'll think, no, Hitler was stronger in the 1930s and 40s than the Jewish God. That's how they think. So, Pen Yomru Yodena Rama, our hand was more powerful. Because what do you want? They're stupid. And he goes on to say, If they had a little bit of analytical power, they would understand that I'm the God out there, and they should be asking themselves, Why am I the God of the universe allowing them to beat up the Jews? Right? If they had a little wisdom, they'd say, You follow? They would say to themselves, why is their God letting this happen? Now, by the way, we do have such a story in the Talmud. I'm thinking of the general who, uh, Nero and Kaiser, remember that? Or Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. But Nero said, you know, uh, obviously I see that there's one God in heaven. He wants me to destroy the base of Medes. I'm not going to do it. Because then I'll get in trouble. God will destroy the temple and then blame me for it. Uh... And there was Ran talk like that. Those we have cases in the Chazal and the Agatha where a foreign perpetrator, at one point or another in his development, came to a monotheistic point of view, whereupon they were struck struck with horror because until then they were operating on the basis that their gods are stronger than the Jewish god or gods, <laughs> and somewhere along the line they came to see, realize actually there's only one God. And then you then ineluctably you end up saying like this. So why is their God uh, doing this? And then you end up saying, well, I'm just being used as a tool. Uh, but then I'm going to be punished for for perpetrating this, and uh, and therefore I'm not going to do it anymore. And in the case of Nebuzaradan and Neron and some others in the Talmud, they converted to Judaism. Do you remember that? They converted to Judaism. Uh, I think Neron Caesar, this general named Nero, is not the Emperor Nero, of course, some Roman dude. Is the grandfather a mayor? Isn't that what they, I believe, in, you know, in the Kamsa Birds of Kamsa Gemars, uh, which is interesting. Every time you read something, a mayor in Bruria, you see this guy's a grandson, and literally, you know, if this is a true story, it happened during the uh, destruction of the temple in the year 70, and uh, a mayor is a second generation Tano, it's his 80. <laughs> it's his 80. Imagine growing up in a, in a village in a town in Israel. And, uh, you know, who's your father? General Patton. <laughs> you know, where does he dive He dives by uh, the Agudo, <laughs> right? Uh, and once upon a time, he was anti-Semitic and killed a lot of Jews. But then he became... But we live in such times. I'm sure you notice, you don't need me to tell you, that the grandchildren of Hermann Goering, I think... I'm serious, it's not funny. Hermann Goering's grandchildren, Davin and, and Baivagon, if I remember correctly. He dives the shul over there. So, uh, crazier things have happened. Now... God therefore says like this, because I don't want the Gaim to misinterpret it, to have no tavuna, and then this will reinforce their polytheism, I therefore will prevent the Gaim from totally wiping out the Jews, okay? And in, as a matter of fact, I will then uh, demonstrate that the Jewish God is still alive and powerful by destroying them. Whereas the language over there, he says, I will take revenge on them. And by taking revenge on them, 
you'll see that the Jewish God is, was not weak. Okay? He'll see that the uh, the Jews are helpless, and he'll move in, and uh, you know he'll 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 destroy everything. Okay, he he will demonstrate that way. Matter of fact, this is the pasuk we see all the time. Okay, which is quite a pasuk. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? The end of the poem is But what, what, what does that mean? Harninu goyimamo. That's hard to translate even. Uh, R.A. Kaplan says, let the tribes of his nation sing praise. Eh, I don't like that. Harninu uh, goyimamo. The nations of the world, I would translate like this. I mean, I know they had to translate it from terms of Ivrit. Harninu goyimamo. You nations out there are going to now sing about his people. That is to say, you'll say the Jews are really great. Even after we wiped them out, we mauled them. Kidam avadov he come, because we see God is punishing uh, the, the 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 slain. Venakom yashiv l'sarov, the chipar masamo, and bring vengeance on the foes. Meaning, we see God uh, avenging those who hurt the Jews. The chipar ad masamo. I don't even know how to translate that. How would you even translate it? It doesn't lend itself to translation. The chipar ad masamo. I mean, I know I know what the words mean, just like you do, but um, um, it's 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 uh, uh, runs away from you. To uh, I mean, what does he see? I'm looking at you. Camp over here. The chipper masamo. He will. He he wants to say, he will reconcile his people to his land. Interesting, interesting, or uh, atone for his land or purge his land. The chipper masamo. The land will be purged of the bad people. I, I, the reason I say I don't know is you and I have not lived through this yet. This is all prediction of the future. Uh, I don't think we've lived through it yet. Uh, now, I could be wrong. Uh, God works in a slow fashion sometimes. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I don't know. This is just a total speculation, obviously. The Germans and these other Europeans really messed the Jews over in the last century. In many ways. Culminating the Holocaust in many ways. Uh, I'm just making this up. Uh, but that happens. How is God? How are you going to keep Parad Masamo? God's wiping out the Europeans. How's He wiping out the Europeans? At this very moment, the Arabs are taking over Europe. Pretty soon, when the Arabs are the majority, they will destroy the European civilization. No, so that will not be the civilization that will be left behind. That's what the Arabs did when they took over the Middle East. That's what they did when they took over North Africa and uh, Central Asian areas. There used to be whole civilizations over there and were displaced and replaced. Now, uh, Let's say, let's just argue for a minute this happens. I'm not saying I want it to happen because then Israel will be screwed, but I'm just saying, what if this happens? Then standing 100 years from now, people say, oh, once upon a time was Europe, and then they messed up with Jews, and then they go wiped out. Um, literally. You know, and, and, and their memory was forgotten and all this kind of stuff. That's the kind of language Moshe is talking about because he's surveying many, many centuries. You know, see, he's not just looking at one incident or another. He's looking at the long run of Jewish history, and it is a very cynical run. Because I'll tell you again, and I guess with this I'll leave you, you have two models. And again, all I ever tell you is my opinion. I could be wrong, I could be right, we'll see. You have two models. You have Nitzavim, and you have Hazinu. Uh, Nitzavim is like nicey-nicey. Uh, Hazinu less so. In Nitzavim it says that the Jews will screw up, and they'll be scattered 
and gavri some milk and then Right? And according to Nitzavim, once the Jews are scattered in total exile, they will begin to reconsider their actions, and they will start a process of teshuva. Uh, that's a different story. If that happens, then the Jews will earn the final geula. Now, let me contrast that. Now you have Parshas Azinu. Uh, the Jews will go in exile, or they'll suffer, like you see, the Jews will suffer the terror of the Gaisha nations, which is described in vivid colors over here. You understand? I mean, it's it's pretty bad. It's, uh, you know, the land will be consumed, Romos, God says, my, my arrows will destroy them. Mizerov, Bushumi Reshef, Biketem Riri, there'll be all kind of terrible things over there, you know, plagues, uh, and so forth. I'm getting all these letters from Israel about the COVID, uh, venomous creatures. I mean, who knows what's going on over here? And he says that to be that there'll uh, be mass slaughter. Gam Bocher, Gam Basula, Yonik, and Misheva. So, uh, that's a different prediction. It's like Gufri's milk three fights uh, another way. But it doesn't say then the Jews will repent. Uh, this is a different model. It says that uh, even if the Jews don't repent, I'll save them at the end anyway. This is that grace that I was telling you about the other day. Right? This is the idea that even if the Jews don't merit it, uh, they'll be saved. Uh, in the language that Moshe used when he pled for the Jewish people by the golden calf. Lama Yom Ragoyim. Right? Uh, what will the Goyim say? So Hashem was like this, since I tied my name with your destiny, even if you don't deserve it, in the end I'll rescue you and destroy your oppressors. Because, you know, that's, that, that's, that's the way we set this up. It sort of suggests, I'm not a theologian, it sort of suggests that God's like this, listen, I caused anti-Semitism by singling you out. So I have to be, have the responsibility and make sure you don't get wiped out. Uh, you understand? Um, th- th- this is the uh, crazy way. So if this sounds theologically somewhat confusing, kind of complex, I would argue that Parshazina was like that. But on the other hand, it's a very fascinating uh, business. So I do invite you, especially Shabbat Shuvah, time for heavy thoughts, solemn thoughts, serious thoughts, that uh, take a look, in, in my opinion, you should get the Arya Kabbalah and just try to figure out what's going on with this poem. And I think you'll end up seeing it the way I do. But if not, that's good also. I hope everyone has a good Shabbat Shuvah. If I'm able to, uh, I'll try to get in something for Yom Kippur. Uh, I'm not sure what the sponsors yet, but we'll maybe we can work something out. Um, but meanwhile, I wish you all a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com support dot rabbi david